Welcome to the Kind Faith Bible Podcast. Conversations about how we read the Bible for newcomers and nerds alike. Hey everybody, welcome to the Kind Faith. Uh, It's the Bible Podcast. I'm Jeff. I'm Tyler. We're excited that you're here. Once again, it is a wonderful conversation around scripture for people who are new to the Bible and people who are Bible nerds. And we're, we, well, we're Bible nerds. So dive yeah. in with us. I the water's that. great. Oh yeah. So we've been in a series talking about the will of God and how do you, how do you discern the will of God? And we've got this interesting passage and I'll just read it and then we'll dive in. It's from first Samuel chapter 28 verse six. And it's, it's uh, Saul before David so Samuel has has come. He's he's one of the judges, and he's been uh, appointed by God to find a king. He goes and he finds Saul, and now Saul is king. And here here's what it says in verse six. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, seeking the will of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. And that Urim was uh it was kind of a dice kind of thing they were called the urim and thummim that the chief priest had there was a special pocket on their um robe that they wore and it was where they kept that to discern the will of god and so there's three things here dreams he sought to hear the will of god through dreams by the urim the priest's dice or to hear a word from the prophets so as we read this, Tyler, what, what do you hear in it? Yeah, we, we settled on that one. It's an interesting verse to, to find in the Old Testament what seems to be a summary of some of the main ways that they thought of discerning God's will. So that's what we've been talking about. How do we inquire of God's will? And there, there are many different ways that God speaks and shows that that's what we've been talking about. But that's a nice little summary verse of it seems, you know, when, when Saul the king was trying to discern God's will, the three main things he went to were dreams, the Urim, and the, the, the prophets. Or the, the prophets, prophets. Yeah. yeah. And so where we thought, like Urim and Thummim, the other, the other term that we're going to throw in is lot, casting lots. Those are basically the same thing. We want to we dive into that particular topic for this conversation. I think, yeah, say, let's go. Let's go. Blow it open and say, what does that mean? What was that Urim and Thummim? Uh, you did a good uh, summary just now. And what is this whole idea of casting lots? Is that a valid way even till today of how do we discern God's will? Right. So, the early church. Yeah. So one of the first um, situations that arose for the disciples was they were down a disciple. Yeah. So um, Judas killed himself and they had 11 instead of 12 and they wanted to fulfill that perfect number. And so they, they got together and they cast lots. Yeah. And we should end, maybe end there or get there eventually, because that's the only time the church in the new Testament casts lots. And it's a really interesting application of this conversation in the Sweet. Old Testament. So we'll get there at yeah. the end. I like it. Yeah. Previews so, of coming attractions. So maybe I could give a little fuller Summary of the Urim and Thummim. Go for it. To be honest, we don't fully know exactly what it looks like. We have it referenced throughout the Old Testament. But everybody who knows anything knows they were like Dungeons and Dragons 20-sided die. Just just, just let you know. Okay. (laughs) I haven't seen that commentary. Thank you. 
<laughs> yeah, N.T. Wright said it. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Tom, if you're listening. Um, well, you could, and I, I want to hear what you have to say. Here's what I, I did some digging, and several scholars, they have some get, best guesses of what it looks like. Essentially, I, I think a, a, a good corollary to today might be like flipping a coin. Essentially, mm-hmm. it was a yes or no. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't, it wasn't a Ouija board with a bunch of letters on it. It, mm-hmm. was, it was essentially, it wasn't a, one of those eight balls. Dang with it. a bunch of different Because that was what I oh, thought it was. It was this black yeah. container with a triangular shaped thing inside yeah. with, and you shook it. In a way, well, essentially, you know, with, with like casting, casting lots, some sort of dice or stick or stone, the ermine threw was some sort of stone that they cast that essentially told them yes or no. Uh, maybe the fact that Saul couldn't get an answer with even the Urim, maybe there was also a ask again later. So maybe maybe the eighth ball actually is okay. See, that's what I'm uh, talking about. So it's a yes or no, but apparently you can throw it in a way that gives you no answer at all. Um, and, and I think that's important. That that gets me to, to start thinking about, so how would I actually be able to use that as a way, a viable way of discerning mm-hmm. God's will. Well, and can we talk about the, 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 the human intellectual progression on this? Like how, how many of us did play with, with, um, eight balls and then you move from magic eight balls into, um, astrology and looking in the newspaper for your sign mm-hmm. or checking out and getting that email about what your sign is. There's, there's this, this developmental reality where, when we're functioning in the, in a simple, concrete, operational, logic kind of world, the simple answers are kind of the only things that we can grasp. And a lot of folks kind of live in that spot mm. where I just want it simply. And so the Magic 8-Ball, the Ouija board, the astrology is there. But the longer we live life, the more we realize, oh, it's a lot more complex mm-hmm. than simple yes and no's. Yeah. And that's just a natural part of human development. Yeah. So... How do you want to, maybe one thought, I could, I have a list here of all the, the mentions of lots. I could give a quick summary and we could just pull out some observations. Or, Go. So, um, so in the, the Torah, Leviticus numbers, even into Joshua, it shows up a couple times. Uh, the first mention is Leviticus 16 on the day of atonement. Two blameless goats are brought mm-hmm. before the priest and they cast lots. One of the goats is going to become this ascension offering. One of the goats, all the sins of Israel is going to be placed on this goat's head and it's going to be led away into the wilderness. The scapegoat. The scapegoat. Yes. Thank you. And so that's, that's one of the first times that the idea of casting a lot to determine this or that. It's again, it's a yes or no, this or that, flipping a coin type of scenario. You have to do the work ahead of time to bring the two goats and then you, you flip a coin to figure out which one is which. Yeah. And can we talk about the, the this or that... Um, function there there is already established the salvation of god the required sacrifice of god the provision of god the mercy of god the loving kindness of god is there Mm -hmm. the only thing left to determine is this or that yeah it's it's a it's a i don't want to say unimportant decision level kind of thing but it's at that point so much of what um, needs to be known about God is already known. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And hold that thought. I was. I think about that more as we get to like that story and Acts. Did I just jump that, ahead? You kind of did. Dang no, that it. was good. That was good. I'm so sorry. No, I totally agree. Though there's a lot that comes before time, before this moment, and they already know a lot about who God is. And I, I would add to your point there. 
the idea that they're already exercising a lot of their own responsibility and partnership in this worship by choosing the goats in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is going to be a theme, but lots were never used in a way like, I I don't have my personal set of lots, and I just ask a general question when I wake up, what should I do today? And there's the answer. There's... You can't do that because it's a yes or no. It's, Ooh, okay. So you, you actually, just need to read through all okay, of these, okay. and then we'll go because okay. So bam, that's another important thing. Yeah. It was a community function yes. as opposed to an individualized decision making process. So a couple, uh, a, a pretty famous one would be in Numbers. God has given them the promised land. Exit, the Exodus from Egypt is happening, and they're going into the promised land, and they start to cast lots to divide the land between the tribes. Mm-hmm. And so that's when there's twelve okay. tribes. 12 parcels of land. So and they, which goat goes where which goat. and which people go where. Which people. And it, and that's a way, uh, both of those are a way of giving to God ultimate authority and mm-hmm. decision, right? Saying, God, you've given us this land. We're going to trust you to show us which way is the best way for us to mm-hmm. go. Mm-hmm. Um, one, th- most of these don't have to deal with individual decisions or, you know, choosing people but there's a couple key moments so joshua 7 is one that's used in a judgment sort of way Mm -hmm. they try they're in the promised land they try to go to battle and they keep getting defeated and so they think has god left us is this post jericho this is um yeah it's gotta be post jericho Jericho, chapter 7 so this is this is the sin of achan okay and so what they joshua comes and starts to inquire the lord and he retorts back well well don't you know that it's because one of you sinned like, of course. So so what they do is they start casting lots and they start whittling down the tribes. Okay, which tribe was it? So I don't know how that, if it's a yes or no, they split the six tri- six on six and then they cast lots and then it fell on this six and then they separate those. And then eventually they got that down. happened in March, by the way? Kind of a March Madness kind of bracket. Kind Little of brackets, yeah, okay. with, with flipping the coin. Sure. Um, whatever works, man. Uh, so basically, eventually it gets down to the right tribe, to the right family group, the clan, down to Aiken and his family. And it turns out, yes, indeed, he was the one that um, stole goods that he wasn't supposed to steal. And he's he's judged for it. So it was a way for them uh, to ask God to help in, in, a, in a scenario where they couldn't figure out which one of us did this. Uh, a similar sort of thing happens later with Saul and Jonathan. Uh, they're casting lots to figure out is, why is God not giving us victory? And it lands on Saul and Jonathan rather than the tribes of Israel. Eventually it goes down to Jonathan. And, and so there's these stories of using lots as a way of determining which one among us is at fault. Who did this? And so Achan or uh, that story there. Uh, then there are, this, there are several phrase, this, this phrase shows up, especially in the book of Samuel, to inquire of the Lord, to inquire of Yahweh. And it would seem, sometimes the the actual image of Lot is used, but sometimes it's not. But it seems that that's mostly what's happening. Whenever a king inquires of the Lord, they're probably getting the priest to come with his Urim and Thummim and they're casting lots. Uh, And so what's going on here? How are they there to take by Lot? But the next time that a person is used uh, or at stake is to choose the first king of Israel. Mm -hmm. And so in 1 Samuel 10, they're casting lots to inquire which one of us did God choose to be our king. The people have asked for a king, and so they cast Lot, it lands on Benjamin, it lands on Saul's house, and that's uh, it's, a, it's a humorous story where they, they, they finally land on Saul, and they say, well, where's Saul? Where is he? He's taller than all of us and, and more handsome and everything. And he's hiding in the luggage. He's hiding, yeah, he's hiding among the baggage, but um, God has made it clear. He's the one that I've chosen. So 
Um, so there's that. And then there are many times where inquiring of the Lord happens from the king, inquiring the Lord about, and the question usually is, should I go to battle? Uh, David asking, should I go battle the Philistines or not? Uh, and, and here, I'll throw this out. As I look at those in, in particular, maybe we could look at some of them. But I would summarize that. That question of a king asking by lot, God, should I go to battle, is essentially like asking, God, are you with us? He's a king, and that's his prerogative. There's a, there are moments in his decision where he has to make a decision. There's the enemy at the gate. Should I go and battle them or not? The, the question about lots is more about, God, are you with us, than actually, um, it, he didn't wake up with a blank slate saying, what should I do today, Lord? And the lot said, hey, go to battle. He already made the decision to go to battle. His question with throwing the dice or casting lots is, God, are you with us? And if God says yes, he says, okay, I know, he'll, I know God will give us victory. Let's go. So um, we could maybe stop there. Any Anything you want to dive into? That's yeah, there's a there's a bunch there. Um, a, it's making me want to cast lots. Yeah. Um, I'm just kidding, but I I think I think some of the some of the things that are really key in that um, is God's already led them to a huge point of decision, and yeah. the lots become this this over and above kind of thing. Yeah, as opposed to. Mm. Um, as opposed to, I, I liked your analogy of a blank slate. You know, wake up in the morning and what do I, what do I have for breakfast? And you cast lots to figure that out. It, it didn't, didn't function that way. So that I, I find that really helpful. I also find it helpful that there's, there's so much already known about God. And the last thing I think that struck me in that was implicit in the casting of lots was a commitment to be faithful to the result no matter what happened and and they saw it as a commitment not to the chance but to god and it was god's tool and they were going to follow with absolute obedience however the result came and that commitment to being obedient is pretty yeah is pretty impressive too yeah you know maybe uh one one of one of those moments that comes up as you were talking was them entering the promised land. There is so much that God has already revealed very clearly, right? From Abraham in Genesis 12 on, Abraham, I'm going to choose you and make you at a, na- a nation that's going to bless the world. And then through all the patriarchs and, and the leaders of Israel up to Moses saying, I'm giving you this land. And somehow this land, uh, which hap- just happens to be the, the central um, kind of causeway between all the major powers of the world. Uh, so God didn't put them off into some distant, far-off island. He put them right in the middle where they're going to keep getting trampled on and keep getting pressure from everyone around them. Um, but he, everything is already very clearly God saying, this is my land that I'm giving to you, I'm promising to you, and I'm going to make you this incredible instrument to bless the world. That last moment of now we're going into the land, actually casting lots there feels a lot like saying, God, we're trusting you that it's actually your land. Mm-hmm. And so there, there is a way of let's, um, you know, maybe we're, as I'm talking, realizing a couple of weeks ago, we kept talking about we don't want to remove ourselves from the equation. And that's still true in discerning God's will. But there is a moment of surrender to say at the end of the day, God, you're God and not me. And so maybe this lot casting, it, it's not removing me from the equation, but it is saying, but I'm not. I'm not the ultimate decision maker here. I still have to surrender. Uh, does that yeah. help? So if I so let me ask this question: Is there a uh, 
kingdom of of Jesus version of casting lots. Hmm. Hmm. One maybe before I try to answer that, one other thought maybe just to wrestle with is what what casting lots actually does in forcing me to surrender. This is just a thought I've been having, but it um the fact that one in in these stories it's you get the high priest who's who's anointed to mediate God's presence with the people so already there's a a removal of myself to say I'm trusting in the person that God has put it here and the very act of casting lots um forces me to surrender right mm-hmm. if I'm actually going to trust heads or tails um I ca- I can't force the outcome of that and so there's this sense, uh, you know, at the end of the day, there might be a decision where I've put all the right amount of work in and I've, I've exercised the wisdom and the gifts and the experience God's given me. I've brought in wise counsel. I've looked at scripture. I'm, I'm connected with the heart and character of God, all the, the core fundamentals that we've been talking about in this series. And maybe at the end of the day, there, there is a moment where I'm like, I, I still, these are still equally viable options and I just can't figure it out. Is there still a, a a space to say at the can I just say, let's cast lots and go with it? The the funny thing is most Christians today don't that I know of don't do that. No, right. And see, but here's, so here's is, it, is it still viable? What? Yeah. What do you think? That here's what I where I would where I would go with that. I think most Christians today do. Oh, okay. Tell me more. I think that this criteria that we've put in place, which I think is 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 a profound and important criteria to follow to discerning the will of God, Mm. right? That criteria of how do I see God revealing himself in scripture? How do I see God revealing himself circumstantially? What kind of input am I getting from the community of God? What am I discerning in prayer? Those, those four things. Is there a fifth? Am I forgetting a fifth? Let's Um, just call it those four. those Those four things. My, desire and willingness to submit to how I understand those four things is also lot throwing because when I go to scripture, I'm seeing in scripture from my filter. And when I go to, to discern with my community, I'm discerning from my filter. And when I go to how I feel about something, it's my filter that I'm feeling around. And when I evaluate my circumstances, it's my filter. So in all of it, it's still a flawed way to discern the will of God. Mm-hmm. Just like casting lots is a super flawed way. Mm. And the call is, will I do what I discern in the in that process? It's more complex, it's more advanced, yeah. but I don't see it um, I don't I don't see it being um, that much more reliable ultimately Mm. there's a there's a a philosopher of science his name is michael polanyi and he's done this incredible um work and his statement is all knowing is instrumental knowing you only know through an instrument Mm. you don't ever know directly and if your instrument is flawed your knowledge will be flawed and here's how that goes into humanity. All knowing 
is instrumental knowing and my instrument is my body my Mm -hmm. eyes my hands my brain my ears my nose all knowing is instrumental knowing and and because i'm human and humans are flawed all my knowing is flawed so even my discerning of god's will is going to be flawed and so that puts me in a place where i have to radically obey something that could be as random as urim and thummim yeah and a hmm. radical trust that this God is going to work all things together for good. It 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 brings it brings me off the brink of of having to be certain about the direction of God and being able to say, well, you didn't do a good enough job discerning God's will because you didn't follow these things. Yeah. Um, and how foolish of the Old Testament. These people trusting dice, come on, that's Vegas. Yeah. You know, that that's where the that's where I think the big flaw in it all comes because we 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 take our discerning of God's will, we wanna we wanna certify our system as scientifically accurate. Right. Mm, that's good. And it cannot be. Right. Yeah, it uh there's, there's the, the two words that I was thinking of are like, there's, there's this subjectivity in all of us, mm-hmm. right? And, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, there's a lot of subjectivity about all of this. But it also, and then the other, the, the thing we're grasping at is objectivity. We have something like there is an objective answer. Mm-hmm. And especially around this idea of discerning and using wisdom and making good choices in the world, there's always this level of subjectivity um, that... At the end of the day, we, we don't really know. And I love to throw this phrase out on so many different ways. But basically, what you're saying is, if Jesus isn't real, this whole thing's going to fall apart. <laughs> that, is, right? that is 100% yeah. the truth. If Jesus isn't, if God doesn't, if he's not holding this whole thing together. I love St. Francis of Assisi, his yeah. conversion vision. Do you, are you familiar with that? A bit, yeah. Yeah, St. Francis of Assisi grew up in a wealthy family in Assisi, a small Italian village, but had, they had a ton of money. And he had this encounter with God in this run-down chapel outside of town and decided that he was going to give his whole life to Christ. And he walked into the town council and he stripped himself down naked to, as a way to say, I'm, I'm forsaking this whole thing. When he walked out from the town council, naked, by the way, into the town square of Assisi, he had this immediate vision and everything was being suspended. So all the buildings were upside down, all the people were upside down, everything was inverted. Mm. And instead of being grounded on earth, it was suspended by God. And it was his big moment of oh my goodness if jesus isn't real this whole thing falls apart if god isn't good and all-knowing and in control and loving this whole thing disintegrates yeah and so yeah i love that huh so maybe going back to the lots really quick. And, and this is again, this is an application for me as I was just studying through all the passages. I, I did come down. It seems like the, the clearest thing they're asking is, God, are you with us? Um, because there's an extreme. If we try to adopt lot casting in our life and we actually like carry it around a magic eight ball or something, we would devolve into this extreme superstition mm-hmm. to say, I can't make any choices. And it would become this mm-hmm. obsession. Mm-hmm. And um, but if actually we used this idea of discerning more with the question, God, are you with us? 
then we're still making wise choices and we still have to figure out how to navigate mm-hmm. life. But we also have to trust God, you're going to, you're going to let me know if you're not in this mm-hmm. and you can stop me here. Yeah. Uh, but, but I can also trust that between multiple great options, there's this job and I can move here or, you know, all these things that we can, we have to make decisions on. Um, overwhelmingly, I think the response that God wants to give us is I'm going to be with you. What are we going to do next? Mm-hmm. Um, and if there's a way for us, you know, if, if, uh, if that, if that was literally taking up some sort of lot casting, that, that might yeah. be a little extreme, but there's something about that question that helps me apply it more than trying to find out, well, I need to find my own Urim and Thummim. I, I just need to figure out how do I keep asking that question? God, are you with me? Yeah. And I think that boils it down to, to exactly that. And it answers the core question. Yeah. It answers the core question, which is why, why were these tools listed here in first Samuel 28 verse six, the dreams, the Urim and Thummim and the prophets, the others are used a bit, but the Urim and Thummim in particular, why aren't they used yeah. today? Why, why did those disappear? And, and it was a communal ex, um, it was a communal exercise yeah. about determining the presence of God with them. And once the Holy Spirit arrives, yeah, God is with us. Yeah. And God dwells with his people. And the, you might say the dice throwing became internal. Yeah. And well, we have these feelings and these senses inside us that are like dice. That's the Polanyi thing of, you know, it's, it's my subjective reality, but I'm going to listen and obey to, to the, to the thing that's happening inside me. Yeah. Mm. Well, let's turn to Acts chapter one, because you made a great point just now, like the, the giving of the Holy Spirit actually literally stops the lot casting. The very, the only time that lots are used is Acts chapter one. And by Acts chapter two, the spirit is sent on the people. Uh, and then from then on, we have no other stories of them using lots. And and Luke, the author in Acts, doesn't make that explicit, but it seems to be an implicit claim. Like, yeah, yeah. And, and even if it, even if it's not something that the writers picked up, it's in the story. It's yeah. right there yeah. in the story. So so mm. where are we where are we closing this out on Acts, uh, Acts one, starting at verse twelve. Love it right after the ascension and right before the Holy Spirit comes. Yeah. <laughs> that is amazing. Um, so there are, they're up in the upper room. Jesus has been teaching them about the kingdom of God for 40 days, telling them to wait in Jerusalem for the spirit to come. Then you will be my witnesses uh, throughout the world. And they're waiting and they're praying. And it, and it actually lists off. It's the 11 apostles who were there. Uh, as well as other key leaders in the movement. There's the the women with Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers who have now come to the Lord and are are there. And um, verse 15 tells us there's about 120 people. So this is the buildup into uh, Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit. It was a really crowded room. Yeah. You want to read starting in verse 16? Yeah. Yeah. Brothers, says Peter, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man, this is Judas's final story, acquired a field 
as a reward for his wickedness and falling headlong he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out it's beautiful that's wow and it became <laughs> known to all the inhabitants of all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and so the field was called in their own language Al-Kadama, which is the field of blood, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his life. So one of the men who'd, who'd accompanied us during all that time, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry of apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place and they cast lots for them and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Yeah. So a couple of thoughts. One, they're making, they're, they're deciding, they're doing a lot of pre-work to get to this point of casting lots and they, um, for a lot of reasons, symbolic reasons, they feel like the, the, the core 12 is an important number because we're kind of like re- restarting the nation of Israel through these 12 leaders that Jesus chose around himself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so in this one moment, starting the movement with 12 at the, at the core seems really important. They're not the only apostles. They're not the only core leaders who are sent out to plant churches. Actually, everyone listed above those women with Mary and his brothers. Mm -hmm. Um, Paul at one point in his letters talks about 500 who saw the risen Jesus. He, He names other apostles. So they're not like, they're, they're not setting up some sort of centralized government that's always going to be 12. But right. there's something about starting the movement with 12 that they say, this is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then they also have to decide, okay, let's, let's come up with a rubric, uh, a, a job description, as, if you will. And they say, okay, we want someone who's accompanied us the whole time Jesus went out among us. So during the three years of Jesus's earthly ministry... Mm-hmm. There were apparently plenty of others. So who, who was here beginning from the baptism of John back on the first pages of the Gospels until the ascension that just happened in the first half of Acts chapter one. So someone who was with us from the baptism to the ascension, uh, one of these men will become one of the witnesses. And uh, so they find two um, who might fit the bill. And coming down to at least two, that, that's another moment of surrender to say, okay, now, Lord, you know the hearts. Which one do you choose? Let's cast lots. And they choose Matthias. Um, there's a couple funny, interesting elements to that whole story. But any, any what are the funny, interesting elements? You, you, you well, tease me. Well, um, this is one of one of my favorite scholars. Uh, there's a lot. I have all my scholars. All scholars Wait, is this favorites. a World War One scholar? No, World no, no. This is more scholar? modern, modern. Okay, great. Uh, his name's Justo Gonzalez. Justo. He's, I like him. He wrote this great book called Manana. And, um, but he, 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 he looks a lot at a lot of scripture through more of maybe a, a critical lens, like trying to say, are there other sides of this story? And he points out like when Peter says someone who's accompanied us since the baptism until the ascension, it's like, well, most of the 12 apostles don't even fit that bill. Um, that is a good point. That's so, hilarious. So there's some interesting elements here. Like Peter is creating a standard that 
he might not even be able to fit. Um, that's just an oddity that you could you could spend some time getting digging into some curious curious wow, stuff. Wow, that's a great point. Um, and the other the other interesting, neither of these two names ever shows up again. Matthias, they make this big deal in chapter one of what well, we need to fill. We need to find our twelfth apostle. Yeah. Um, and so they they make this huge deal of casting lots and finding Matthias. Yeah. And Matthias never shows up again. And this is an argument that I want to debunk. Okay. Because. A lot of people will take this and say, this is why the Old Testament is irrelevant. Oh. Because casting lots was used. So here's them trying to apply Old Testament. Mm. And they apply the Old Testament. Matthias is never heard of again. The Old Testament is useless. Oh, okay. That's like the, I've way oversimplified the logic, but that's a part of the logic. And, and, And it really goes to, no... The Holy Spirit is the one who now is going to be the director and determinant and guide to the will of God in our lives. And and the desire to pursue God and all of the things that the old people of the Old Testament did is still what we're called to do. Yeah. So it's just that, I mean, I like that idea. The Urim and Thuma moved inside our hearts. Yeah. It didn't disappear. So hmm. that, I, sorry, I just I like had that. to get on that high horse there yeah i like I, I think i like bringing up those kind of questions and we could spend a long time digging into what's going on here uh but there is i, I don't think yeah it's not that luke is taking this extreme view of saying oh they they totally messed up and or else it would have been a little clearer in the text the rest of the story but it's this ambiguity it happens it for all we know that was exactly what god wanted them to do and the, the spirit does show up in the very next chapter, the, these 12 men now do lead the movement. It's just an oddity that Matthias, like you almost think if you're, if this was an opening scene of most movies and this was what we're seeing, we're, we're expecting great things out of Matthias. And, yeah. Yeah. And, but Luke's, Luke's motivation is actually, like you just said, the hero is actually the Holy Spirit. And so every time he introduces us to anybody, they're, they're actually not the main hero of this story, whether it's Peter or Paul or Matthias, like they or steven or philip like the lots right now are the heroes yeah yeah Yeah. so um yeah it's it 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 makes us actually that whole this whole little rabbit trail of of questions makes us realize that the hero of acts is jesus in the spirit and not even matthias but Mm -hmm. is it still a valid i would say i i like this idea that the slot has moved inside of us we have the spirit now to determine god's will but Let's say even even if we wanted to use lots, the only way it would work to apply this would say we're going to, you know, we need to create a lot system to find our new leader uh, for some movement. The only way that would work is if you first do the work to create a list of, well, this is all the stuff that we need in a leader. Let's go find them. And to give our to surrender to God, let's find multiple people who fit perfectly this bill and then we'll cast lots and just trust that God is in it. Uh, so it wouldn't actually work unless you did all that pre-work right. leading up to it anyway. So there's a lot of wisdom and responsibility uh, used by the apostles before they even get to the point of saying, okay, Lord, which one? Because at the end of the day, he's filling a symbolic role. Everyone is going to go out and plant churches and preach right. the gospel, and they're still right. core leaders. So the, the, the symbolic role, even more so, it, it it's okay to say, God, you can fill this role um, because, I mean, the no one's paycheck is 
on the line here. And uh, there's, a, there's a lot of reasons why, at the end of the day, they're saying, these two guys seem to fit the bill um, even better than us. Let's, let's figure out who, who, who it is. I don't yeah. Know. So. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, the beauty of this is, and I think our takeaway is, if we approach pursuing the will of God with a trust that he's going to make his will known the way he wants to, with a commitment to be obedient to whatever, however we discern, mm-hmm. and to know that that this this practice that was in the Old Testament that came here in Acts 1 has moved into our hearts with the Holy Spirit working in our midst, um, we've got a we've got a lot of hope yeah. for determining the will of God. We do, and maybe just a little teaser for our next conversation. That little conversation we had of all of our instruments are flawed, and ultimately we're resting on a lot of subjectivity. I think we're going to talk about that next time. No, I can't uh, wait. And, and kind of as a wrap up of this whole discussion on discerning God's will. Yeah, so. and and maybe we need an addendum in there too of what about the zero answer moment? Yeah. What do you do then? Yeah. Like so we'll, 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 you get a double hitter next time. Okay. We'll kind of do both. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> Amen. I'm ready to get going right now. All right. Well, God bless you. And thanks for tuning in. We hope this was a rich conversation and we will see you next week. Awesome. See everyone. See you guys. Thanks for listening. You can find more about the Kind Faith community at thekindfaith.org.